Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicNPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is Heiner W. Scalix, who serves as Portfolio Manager of the Strategic Latin America Fund. Today we will discuss investment opportunities in Latin America. Heiner is also Chief Executive Officer of Strategic Asset Management Limited. Both companies are based in La Paz, Bolivia. The Strategic Latin America Fund, SLAF, is one of the first U.S.-registered mutual funds that invest primarily in Latin American countries, offering a broadly diversified portfolio of Latin American equities, fixed-income securities, and currencies. He previously oversaw a diverse loan portfolio at Banco Mercantil S.A., Prior to that, he was Chief Executive Officer and Portfolio Manager of a leading Bolivian mutual fund, broker-dealer and boutique investment bank, where he created, managed, and led a mutual fund company. He also led the development of the local capital market as a member of the Board of Directors of the Bolivian Securities Exchange. Heiner holds a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering and graduate degrees in finance from the University of Notre Dame and public administration with a concentration in macroeconomics and financial markets from the Kennedy School at Harvard University. Heiner, welcome. Hi, Elena. Thank you for having me and thank you for the introduction. Absolutely. Now, I know that Latin America seems a very familiar topic for you. But would you please, before we get started discussing investment issues, would you paint a picture for our listeners? When we say Latin America, what exactly are we referring to? Glad to do so, Elena. I will be referring to the region or the Latin America region. And I'd like to take this time to clarify a little bit what I mean by that. Um, the region or Latin America region would encompass everything from Mexico all the way down to Argentina, the countries. Uh, so we'll be talking about Mexico, we'll be talking a little bit of Panama, we'll be talking about a little bit of Colombia, we'll be talking about of Brazil. Uh, what we will not be talking about is uh, the Caribbean in this case. So Latin America refers to mainland, uh, everything from Mexico all the way down to Argentina. I also have some facts about Latin America uh, that might not be readily in everyone's mind today. But the population of Latin America is around 550 million people. And let's compare that with the population of the U.S., which is 313 million people. So we're talking about almost twice the size of the U.S. from a population perspective. Um, we need to contrast that with the size of the economy in the U.S., which is 15 trillion, and the collective size of the economy of Latin America is only 5.5 trillion. So it's a third. So we have double the population. We only have a third of the economy there. And also, I like to contrast the fact that the average age in the U.S. is close to 37 years, whereas the average age in Latin America is only 27 years. So this 10-age difference uh, has two implications, I think. First, the fact that we have a very young population in Latin America, a, a very young workforce that's contributing to a pension fund system, and a young workforce that's also... Um, increasing their consumption. They're buying their first home or they're buying their first car, and this is creating a lot of demand for consumer goods, housing, uh, and other goods and services in, in, in Latin America. That's very helpful. Thank you very much. Now, a lot of people have this impression that Latin America and Latin Americans are uneducated and impoverished. What would you say to that? 
I always refer to Latin America as being haunted by three ghosts, the three ghosts that haunted Amer Latin America in the past 20 or 30 years. Uh, the first ghost has to do with the fact that it was a very political, un politically unstable region where you had a president basically every other week in every other country. Uh, but ever since the, ever since uh, political and social reforms have taken place in the region. We've seen political maturity and stability. Uh, just in the last four years, we've had seven smooth presidential elections, which shows to the degree of maturity of, and the high degree of institutionalization that we have. The second ghost that I'd like to mention has to do with inflation. Uh, I remember being from Bolivia that back in the 80s, we had inflation of around 25 thousand percent a year. Basically, everybody was a millionaire there because the currency was worth nothing. Um, and uh, ever since new monetary and fiscal policy has been taken place, uh, the currency has stabilized quite, I'm sorry, the, the inflation has calmed down and stabilized quite some bit. And finally, the third the third, um, the third ghost that plagues the region has to do with foreign exchange. The fact that uh, currencies in some countries 20 or 30 years ago were very inexpensive, and basically you could have dinner for two and wine for just $2, uh, and if you went back to the same country, you would have the same meal for $200. It was basically a, a, a volatile foreign exchange rate. Now, I'd like to tie those three goals with the specific question that you asked about the education and the gap. I think in the last 20 or 30 years, product of the political and social uh, reforms that I just alluded to with the inflation, political instability, and foreign exchange, that also has created a very positive uh, effect on the, the, the average years of education that people in Latin America receive, and it also has narrowed the, the gap between the high income and the very low income uh, folks from the region, the famous Gini coefficient, which marries the dis measures the disparity of, of income generation, has also decreased. There is still work to be done, but I think in the last five to ten years, we've made significant progress in that sense. Many people, of course, have been talking about the stagnant economy in North America, certainly in the United States and in Western Europe, and aggressive investors are looking for greener pastures of course in the BRIC countries and perhaps as well in all of Latin America what would you say is the growth rate at this time? Um, if you are contemplating uh, Latin America which I would encourage you to do uh, as an alternative for investment I think the time is now uh, and why do I say this so forcefully and determinately? That's given the fact that last year the region grew close to 5%, and we are forecasting a 4.5% for the rest of the year. So we're very optimistic and we're very bullish as far as to what opportunities can be found in the region, both in the fixed income space and the equity space. Where would you say that that 5 or 4.5% growth is coming from? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Most certainly. Um, the, the five, the five percent average growth rate is an average that we took from the region. But you have countries on, on, on a certain side of the spectrum like Peru, which are growing at around seven and a half percent, uh, um, given their exposure to mining and mineral resources. And you have larger economies like the Brazilian economy that's only growing three and a half percent. So when you average all the economies, the average growth of the region, we come up with that five percent. Would you expand a little bit in terms of the source of the growth 
uh, for example, you shared the mining in Peru. What are these economies? There are many different countries, of course, spread across the Latin America region. What would you say, in a big picture way, are the main sources of growth in the region? Most definitely. I think the region collectively is undergoing a, 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 a step forward as far as the degree of consumption that's taking place. That's product of the higher population that we have and a, and a growing middle class. Um, just some notes. We, we as the region have uh, one of the largest deposits of copper and lithium in the world, which again alludes to the mining sector. We also were also one of the main ex exporters of sugarcane, out of which uh, sugar comes as well as um, as, as uh, fuel products. We are the largest exporters of beef and soybean and coffee, which is uh, in the consumer staples segment. And just a, a curious note: um, there are over. I was mentioning that the that the population of Latin America is close to 500 million, 550 million people. Uh, there are over 750 million mobile telephone subscribers. So that averages out close to one and a half per person. Uh, and therefore, what we're seeing is that telecommunication deficits or telecommunication gaps are being filled with uh, mobile technology. So mobile technology is, 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 is closing the gap on lacks of infrastructure and telecommunication in a very interesting way. And this is one area that we see tremendous potential. You have you have companies like uh, America Mobi, for example, which are based in Mexico, yet they're deploying a very regional strategy for growth and they're entering growth markets um, across Latin America. So the, the days of whereby companies used to be in a specific country in Latin America, let's say just Peru or just Colombia or just Chile, uh, are long gone. Uh, what we're seeing now are companies that have their headquarters in one of these countries, but they really have a presence uh, in all of the countries that they have uh, um, operations in. And each of the countries has contributed to their cash flow and revenue generation. Would you approach the region as an investor, Heiner? Is it wise to look at it the way that we're discussing it right now as one region, as one investment region, or is it better to break it down further? What would you say? We, we as Strategic Latin America Fund, and as our name implies, take more of an, a regional approach. Uh, the fact that our investment management team is based on the ground in South America and Latin America, the fact that our investment management team was born and raised in the region, educated in the region, uh, we travel frequently throughout the region, we have access to strategic alliances throughout the region, allows us and enables us to take a more regional approach. Granted, each country has their own peculiarity, has their own culture, Some, many have their own currency, Many have their own uh, ways of doing business, but the fact that we are from the region, again, gives us a different perspective. Tell us a little bit more about how and why you take a regional approach versus subdividing the continent into subcategories, lack of a better term. The first step, we have a, a three-step investment approach, and the very first step that we do when we want to uh, reallocate the investments that we have in the fund in Latin America is to take an overview uh, of the region from a macro, social, and economic and political perspective. So we want to get a feel for what the region is doing. Then we break it down 
to a country level, a country-specific level, to see what that specific country is doing on all indicators that I had mentioned. And when we schedule visits, we schedule visits to a specific country and a specific company to conduct our own due diligence and to get a feel for an on-the-ground view of what the opportunities, what the risks, what the potential of that company and that country is before we decide to invest. So we take a very top-down approach, uh, beginning with the regional focus, but we zoom it into specifics at a country level when we execute uh, the investment. Why? Investments, uh, we the, the investment the investment uh, opportunities that we have are very company and country focused. So, for example, if we want to buy a specific stock or a specific bond, we have to do so focusing on that country and that target market. Uh, whenever we invest in ETFs, which are the exchange-traded funds, uh, these have more of a blanket approach and a regional approach. So we would do it. Would not like to duplicate the investments that we have um, by by investing in both, let's say, equities and ETFs. Also, because we are on the ground, because we are from the region, we have local investments in local exchanges that do not trade in the in 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 the in the exchanges here in the U.S., but they do so in each of the local markets. Um, and all this is done within uh, the uh, the regulations and the norms of U.S. mutual funds. All our custody operations and all our fund administration is done here in the United States, even though our investment management team is in South America. And we have uh, we have to adhere to the compliance of norms that are set forth by the Securities and Exchange Commission. Heiner, for many people, investing outside of the U.S. can be anxiety-provoking because the markets are unfamiliar, because foreign markets are perceived to be high risk and difficult to understand. Why would you say that Latin America is a good place to focus your attention if you're an investor right now? Latin America in the last 20 to 30 years has evolved and matured significantly. Uh, the region has a very strong growing middle class, which is interesting, uh, an interesting target market that's being created and made. Uh, 10 or 15 years ago, companies that were in Latin America um, always focused in either the U.S. market or the European market because these markets were potentially um, the only ones that could uh, that could buy the volume and the quantity of their products. But what we're seeing in the region is that this growing class has more consumer uh, power, more purchasing power. So many companies are starting to service the Latin America region instead of having to look overseas. The region also is well endowed with natural resources, uh, everything from copper to lithium to gold, uh, which provides a very interesting uh, a very interesting potential for growth and for wealth creation within the region. Some people, of course, that are watching the news, and very recently we have seen a number of examples of, I'm not really sure what the proper term is, body dumping taking place in Mexico. And, of course, it's very near to the United States because we share a border. And so that kind of news, which makes the headlines, it makes people uneasy. What would you say about the situation in Mexico and if it has any effect on the topic that we're discussing? 
we have not find, found any direct uh, numbers that would reflect a slowdown in the growth of Mexico or a weakening of foreign direct investment product uh, of what you were mentioning. Uh, last year, the uh, growth of Mexico has been around 4%. And, and we have not seen, like I said, any shyness or any companies that are leaving or not headquartering um, their offices in, in Mexico. What is the argument in favor of approaching the market as a single market rather than dividing it into sub-markets? We view the region as a whole, given the uh, proximity, the geographic proximity that you have, given the fact that um, there, is, there are several trade agreements and uh, considering the fact that, as I was alluding to before, uh, many of the companies are deploying regional strategic and growth strategies. So we have a permeate, we, we see companies permeate from one country to the other and tap into these existing markets. So the overview that we have is at a regional basis. Um, each country, granted, has their own specific macroeconomic, po- political and social conditions and has to be taken to uh, account and considered individually. Yet, as, as a region, uh, like we consider the Southeast Asia as a region, for example, or the European region is an extrapolation of a, of, of a, of a, is an extrapolation of a conjunction of territories, um, bunched together. Now, you mentioned Europe, for example. Many people, when they look at Europe, divide it into Eastern and Western Europe or Northern and Southern Europe. Uh, for investment purposes, as well as geographic, of course, because of the many differences that, that those areas have. Do you have a similar division that you use when looking at the region? We can fun, fine-tune the degree of specificity and granularity by dividing the region, the Latin America region, into Central America and South America, and for argument's sake, also isolating Brazil, uh, not because we... We we uh, we would like to isolate Brazil simply because of the fact that Brazil is almost half the population of Latin America and half the GDP of Latin America. Um, so we can we can segment into into Central America, Central America, which has a very high interdependence among the region and with the United States and Canada, for example, and South America, which is, has a more regional approach, product of the uh, uh, the Andean the Andean uh, commonality that they, they have together. Uh, Brazil, like I said, is the sixth largest economy in the world and is really the uh, the uh, the 800-pound gorilla in the region, uh, which takes on more of a global context than a regional context. That that actually makes me wonder: Would it make more sense to look at Brazil as a standalone investment opportunity, as a place to park your money because, of course, it is showing so much growth potential. Well, um, let me let me give you some information about the central bank rates that we have in the region. Uh, Chile has a, a base central rate of around 5%. Uh, Colombia has a base rate of around 5.25%. And Brazil, just like you were mentioning, has a base rate of 9% meaning that their base rate, the SELIC rate, is 9%, and any fixed income and any fixed income opportunity uh, there has to overcome that high hurdle. So we can find very attractive opportunities on the fixed income front. Uh, what we're seeing on the Brazilian front is because, because of its interdependence with 
larger economies like the Chinese economy, any significant global slowdown will also affect um, Brazil. So um, I think one has to consider the fact of how sustainable growth is in Brazil. I'm not trying to imply that Brazil will not will not grow, but maybe it will not grow at the rates that it needs to grow in order to generate that value from an equity perspective. What then would you say to the first-time investor who is looking at the region and feeling intimidated? What would you say is a good way to become more confident, to become more familiar, and to decide how to approach it? I would recommend that they talk with their financial advisor to see, depending on, on, on their tolerance for risk and what their investment horizon is, how much exposure that they, they should have to international markets or global markets, and then break that down a little bit and see how much exposure they should have at a regional basis. And with the help of their advisor, they'll be able to, 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 to pinpoint uh, the, uh, the asset allocation percentages that are commensurate with their risk and investment profile. Is there a, a standard approach? Is there a commonly used approach for first-time investors in tackling the region as a, an investment place? Well, I, like I mentioned before, I think talking to your advisor should be your first stop. What we've seen with other investors is that they approach the region either with a, in, with a, with an ETF, uh, which is more of a blanket approach towards a country or a region or a sector, and also via investments in mutual funds to gain exposure to that region. Would you tell us a little bit more about the region and its investment opportunities? I will give you the, the economist answer to that, and that depends. I was alluding to the fact that uh, the fixed income rates in local currency in Brazil and Colombia and Chile were extremely high uh, on a relative basis. So if your investment profile is more towards fixed income, then um, I think you could find very interesting opportunities in each of these markets on the fixed income front. Also, uh, if you favor equities, uh, the returns in Colombia and Mex- the returns in Colombia year to date have been close to 25%. In Mexico, it has been around six and a half percent. And when you compare that to the returns in the U.S., which borders around the three uh, percent, I think you can also find interesting and attractive alternatives on the equity space there. Uh, one, 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 one aspect that's worth uh, and that's important to mention here. Uh, is that Latin America has over 10 different currencies. So the moving parts of the economy um, in Latin America in a, an investment context center around foreign exchange. And that's something that you definitely have to consider whenever you want to invest in, in a specific country in Latin America or in Latin America as the region. How does that work? Would you tell us a little bit more about the currency exchange aspects? Sure. Uh, whenever you invest, if you invest in in in, in uh, equities or in fixed income that are U.S. dollar denominated, then you don't have the currency fluctuations. But if you do invest in fixed income or you do invest in equity that carries the local exchange rate, then you have to consider the exchange rate and the implications that this has on your overall return on the investment. Meaning that if you, since you are starting with U.S. dollars, you are a U.S. investor that's interested in investing in the region, you have to convert those dollars to 
the local currency. So even though, let's say a year after you make your initial investment, even though the price of that underlying investment has not changed, you have to consider what the exchange rate is for whenever you want to convert that local currency back to U.S. dollars to bring back here to the U.S. So even though that that price has not changed, but there has been foreign foreign exchange fluctuation, you have to consider that that can work against or in, against you or in your favor. And at times, what we've seen is that those fluctuations can be significant, uh, maybe as high as 20 to 25 percent. So in a given year, just because of the changes in the exchange rate, how much you are paying for the local change, local exchange rates, or how much you're paying at the local exchange rates can create a significant uh, or affect the return that you have for both uh, the better or for the worse. Are the currencies traded in the world markets or is this just restricted to regional markets? There are there are global uh, reference exchanges uh, for the currency themselves, um, but generally you do not or you do not go to an exchange in order to trade um, um, that specific ex- that specific foreign currency. It rather becomes a vehicle whereby the price that you buy a bond or an equity has to be considered because there is an additional parameter, which is the foreign exchange. You can get different quotes from different sources as to what the levels are. Um, And by all means, I think one should consider and monitor the foreign exchange rate behaviors before contemplating specific countries or specific investments in Latin America. And again, I think your advisor can give you a sense of direction and a feel for the volatility and the range of fluctuation that you have with foreign exchange. If I'm understanding correctly, Heiner, then the exchange as a a factor plays a major role in the potential return of the investment, even separate from the viability of the investment itself. Is that right? That is absolutely correct, Elena. Um, when you invest in stocks or when you invest in bonds in local currency, you have to keep your eye on the value of the, secu- the stock or the bond. So in and of itself, it can go up 10% or, 10, or go down 10%, but also you have to consider what the exchange rate would be back to the U.S. dollars because since you started with U.S. dollars and you transformed that into the local currency, invested in the local currency, when you want to transform that that currency back to the U.S. dollar, you have to see what that is so as not, so as not to get a unpleasant uh, surprise uh, with what you thought was probably a good investment. Now, there are some markets that are tied to the U.S. dollar, correct? Yes, ADRs, which trade in New York, by default, are traded in U.S. dollars. That does not mean, though, that the foreign exchange rate risk is eliminated because what the ADR is doing is it's tracking the local or the underlying, the local or the underlying um, security in the local market, and it's automatically transforming it, taking the spot exchange rate um, and giving you a price in U.S. dollars. But the exposure to the local exchange rate is still there. And don't you also have countries that are pegged to the U.S. dollar? 
Yes, you have countries like Panama, which goes by the currency of the Balboa, which is technically U.S. dollar. You have the currency in El Salvador, and you have the currency in Ecuador that follow and use the U.S. dollar. Does that make the does that currency tie make those countries particularly more desirable or less risky than the rest of the region? Uh, what you do not have when you invest in those countries are the foreign exchange fluctuations because they are in U.S. dollars. Um, what these countries have or do not have actually have given up when they adopted the U.S. dollar is any any monetary policy uh, because they do not control the central bank. They have no say in the central bank. They don't have access to the to the printing machine that prints their money. So um, that's also something worth considering. And whenever you want to invest, invest in the countries that have adopted the U.S. dollar as their base rate, as their base currency. So if I'm reading between the lines correctly, it sounds like a good approach, certainly for a beginner, is a diversified approach in which you take some of the more aggressive economies with some of the less aggressive and some of the currency issues and the balance so that you may be having less of a risk at the benefit of more stable portfolio. Am I getting this right? Yes. From a portfolio theory perspective, diversification is good and non-correlation is good. The degree and the extensiveness with which you want to um, Create a diversified portfolio in a non-correlated portfolio again is, 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 is something that one should take up with their financial advisor. But we ran some numbers, uh, from a correlation and correlation is just trying to predict how a market or something moves in reference to some other, uh, some other market. So let's take the U.S. market and let's take a, uh, Latin American market, for example. And what we, what we've come up with is that the correlations range between 0.17 and 0.84. Now, what does that mean? That means that um, whatever happens with the U.S. market will happen in the Latin American market, not necessarily in the same magnitude, but in the same direction 10% of the time, or vice versa. Whatever happens in Latin America um, will have, or you can expect to happen from a positive or a negative Tendency in the U.S. not a not an exact number, ten um, percent uh, of the time. In, in, in these are in the in the less correlated markets. In the more correlated markets, we would expect that to be around eighty percent of the time. Again, when if if we expect a bullish market in the U.S. Uh, and we and we and we and we think that there uh, we want that bullishness from Latin America. The highest correlation that we have, the highest degree of compatibility would be 0.84, meaning that 84% of the time, uh, that bullishness should carry over onto um, the, the, that local economy. I think it's important to note that there are other factors that go into determining uh, that direct match or that direct correlation, and this is purely a numerical exercise uh, that's been conducted. The investment instruments. As an investor, when you are looking at investing in the region, are you dealing with locals? Are you dealing with intermediaries such as your company, which I think you said is based in the U.S., right? 
Uh, our company, our company is is has the uh, the custody and the and the fund accounting and fund administration here in the U.S. Our entire investment management team is in South America, and we manage the portfolio on the ground there. Um, going back to your specific question as to how you can reach or obtain those uh, general securities, uh, your local uh, financial advisor or broker dealer will be able to access most, if not all, of the different investment opportunities in Latin America. There are some investment opportunities that you need to uh, contact a local broker. Um, so whether it be whether it be Colombia, whether it be Chile, or whether it be Brazil, you have to open an account in that specific country in order to access the opportunities there. But at initial stage, I think that your financial advisor or your broker dealer in the U.S. here should have enough options uh, to provide to you uh, to choose from and get exposure to Latin American countries and the Latin America region. For someone who is looking for that familiarity of working with a U.S. company as well as the regulation that comes with the U.S. system, would you say that the best approach is to work with a company that is based and that does business in the United States? Um, I think that one of the evolutions that the uh, region has undergone was significantly significant reforms on the regulatory front. Um, so even though the regulation in each country and each sector is very different, I think that the advances and the degree and the, 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 the transparency and the confidence for the investors that has taken place in each market has evolved significantly. Here in the U.S., you have regulation by the Securities and Exchange Commission, which has their own set of rules uh, and norms. And you also have regulation on behalf of FINRA. Uh, so each country has their own set of regulations, but the, the fact that companies are accessing Interna- uh, uh, regional or international security markets or capital markets shows a little bit more as to the degree of transparency and information they're willing to provide potential investors. Heiner, would you tell us what FINRA is? FINRA is the association of uh, broker-dealers. It's a self-regulated body that, that regulates broker-dealers and RIAs. Uh, register investment advisors. So the SEC is the SEC, which is the Securities Exchange Commission, is the official uh, government agency that oversees uh, securities uh, and exchanges. And Finra is more of a self-regulated body that that controls and looks out for the participants in the market uh, and and provides sort of a check and balance instance. Would you please share some suggestions and ideas? for our listeners who might be interested in learning more about Latin America as a, an investment place for the coming year or years, what might be some steps that they can take to become better informed and perhaps even to select a company to invest with? How can they learn more and how can they identify someone that can advise them well in their endeavors? Uh, first, I think exposure to, 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 to media that covers Latin America is a good starting point to become familiar with the news 
that comes out of Latin America with the different initiatives and the different mergers and acquisitions, for example, that are taking place in Latin America. So just uh, get up-to-date uh, information of where the region is will probably dispel some of the of the uh, of the um, of the information and of the perception that you've had in Latin America for the last 20 to 30 years. So just become acquainted via news uh, uh, with 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 Latin America in general. I would also say, and if that's possible, I would encourage people to visit the region. I, a on the ground perspective is very different. Once you're there, you get to talk to people, you get to see the economic economic movement, you get to pick up on certain issues that might be a problem, whether it be inflation, whether it be poverty, whether it be, you know, oh, I'm, I'm seeing that they're very high tech or they're not as high tech. So the appreciation uh, that you have visiting a country is, is second to none. And third, I would encourage, uh, I would encourage potential investors that are looking for different regions and different um, investment opportunities to talk to their financial advisors or talk to their broker dealers to see what ideas or what numbers or what their thoughts are, including Latin America as part of a more global um, uh, portfolio. To summarize, you recommend that potential investors become familiar with the region by just learning about it in general, by visiting in person, and also by speaking with their existing broker. That is correct, honey. That's a great summary. Thank you, Heiner, for joining us from Los Angeles, California. Thank you very much, Elena. And to our audience, thank you for listening to Heiner W. Scalix, who serves as Portfolio Manager of the Strategic Latin America Fund, who discussed investment opportunities in Latin America. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicNPR.com. That's editor at HispanicNPR.com.